thinking about Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuff Your Ears. We are a podcast of Bismarck Community Church, and here we will give you conversations, discussions, as well as sermons and thoughts and ruminations that all are aimed at helping us to live, or at the very least, to understand what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that's often not quite what we wish it were. Glad you tuned in. I hope you enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. <laughs> um, I looked up. This is one. This is fun. I, I, I was curious about attention span because, I mean, when you're thinking about prayer, right, we, we struggle with attention span when it comes to praying sometimes, right? So I started doing some searches on the average American attention span. Now, this is fascinating. And it's gonna, it blew my mind. Um, so I find all these sources that say that the average American attention span is 8.25 seconds. And that a goldfish's is 9 seconds. Right? Some of you are still laughing, so I'm not sure that's true. You're still listening to me. Well, here's what's funny about that. So as, as I start to ask, I ask the same question you probably ask. Like, seriously? I mean, come on, right? So I start doing some digging. Turns out, several years back, Microsoft published some kind of report. And in that report, they said the average American attention span is 8.25 seconds. And they linked for support for that over to some news website somewhere, and then Microsoft, right, it's Microsoft, Microsoft publishes this report, and it gets copied all over, reputable USA Today, News Weekly, whatever, all these, like, reputable news sources begin citing this report, 8.25 seconds of average American attention span, and nobody ever did the study. You go on Google and you search... Average American attention span, 8.25 seconds, there are over 300,000 results. And no one did the research. No one knows that that's true. I mean, we could, I mean, I'm not trying to say we've got a great attention span, but one researcher actually talking about this problem on the internet, right, and or this 8.25 second dilemma, because everybody believes that. Like, anybody looks it up, it's, it's out there so much. He said, the problem, this is what a researcher said, the problem isn't attention span. We are not necessarily the problem with that, with what we sense as attention span. He said, the problem is we have an infinite number of options to choose from. We have too many choices. And we, along the way, like in the midst of having all these choices, we have greater levels of stress, sleeplessness and anxiety than any other civilization I think that has ever lived. One um, researcher in 2004, a guy named Barry Schwartz, wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. And in that book, he essentially said that we think having more options will make us happy, that it'll be more fulfilling because we'll be able to find exactly what we want. And he, he discovers that it's actually the exact opposite. More options decrease the level of happiness that we have. And we're stressed. We're worried. What if I got the wrong thing? What if I didn't do the right? What, what, what if I'm missing out on something, right? We, we live in FOMO world. 
So we're less happy because of all these options in front of us. We um, add to that, right? Living in this culture, I don't think I need to tell any of us that we live in a culture that is really divided, and there is a lot of animosity and anger everywhere. Like, I, I, don't, I don't watch a whole lot of this, but I've seen enough clips to know, like, you watch a, a news program with one of these talking head people, they spend an hour just yelling about being angry about something. Like, that's what a lot of these people do on the news. You can't watch that and walk away not feeling a little bit of that tension and holding on to it. Like, I don't even watch it in five minutes. I'm like, oh, I, just, I don't like that. Now, I don't so much watch the news things, but I'll tell you what I do do. I'll give a little confession. I do read comments, and there's anger, <laughs> and there's animosity, right? I mean, um, I, do, I do read comments sometimes, but it, it, it makes me feel icky. I don't like it. We're not happy. We're not fulfilled. We're stressed. We're fearful. We're angry. And, and this, this is contagious, and it spreads. And so we need to figure out what's going on and how to maybe solve it. But here's an interesting thing, and this is the question I started asking myself. This is going to sound startling, but this is where my mind went. All those people, those trolls with the caps locks on, banging out the angry comments, right? If that's you, I'm sorry, but maybe you need to hear that. I don't, I'm willing to bet that not many of them have the, the conviction and the meaning and the purpose of their beliefs strongly enough to fly a plane into a building. Now, I'm not, please, I'm not, I'm not advocating what the 9-11 terrorists hijackers did, or saying in any way it's a good or admirable. It was horrible. It was wicked. It was evil. It should never have happened. It was wrong. But I did ask myself, what so shaped these people to the point that they would be so willing to give up their very lives for the purpose that they believed in? And you, I'm betting some of us have seen the TV shows you know, maybe in the, in the Middle Eastern world, you know, some kind of, well, it depends on what you watch, whatever, I don't know. But you've probably seen Muslim prayer and what it looks like. They go into, into, in, into the mosque, they take off their shoes, they wash their hands and their, their heads and their feet, and, and then they, and, and they do this five times a day. They take their mat and they roll it out on the floor with all these other people and they they stand and they kneel and they squat and they do these motions and they recite these things over and over five times a day. They do this. They're devoted. <laughs> now, again, I'm not, I'm not holding them up by any means. Please, please, please don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we should be like that or we should be fundamentalist. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they demonstrate that they have a devotion to their prayers and in some cases, at least, their lives are strongly shaped to the point of being willing to give everything. So I had to ask this question, are we devoted to prayers like that, or are we more devoted to pursuing our own happiness 
and along the way only becoming more stressed and less fulfilled with less purpose. And so I see that as an issue. That's what I was thinking. So what can the prayers do? First of all, what are the prayers? That was interesting too. I bet, I'm betting a lot of us have read that verse and said they were devoted to prayer. It's not what it says. Some translations actually do translate it that way. That's not what it says. The ESV gets it right in this case. Um, there's an article. The. Grammatically, that means something. They were devoted to the prayers, not just merely prayer. So what does that mean? Well, these people, this early church. Now, we looked at these people. These people who they had been... Uh, punched in the gut, we said. They were cut to the heart. And they, they recognized who they were, their, their own guilt, their own, their own position before the holy God of the universe. And they were, oh, that's what it felt like to them when they realized this. And they said, what shall we do? And, and, and the apostles tell them to turn, to stop chasing after all the things that you're after and to turn and to, to chase after Jesus. And it altered their lives. But these people were 100%, every one of them, Jewish. Every one of them was raised in the synagogue. Every one of them knew the religious rites and rituals of the Jewish people. Every one of them had memorized what is called the Amidah, as an example, of one of the prayers. It, it, it literally just means standing. Amidah means standing because it was a series of blessings that they would pray when they started the day, standing up, facing the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem to orient their world around the God of the universe, the God who was redeeming them, the God who was making all things new. And they would start and they would look, they would look wherever they were. They started this when they lived in Babylon, so they were a long way away. When they were in Babylon, they started and they would face the Holy of Holies. And they would pray and they would start, Blessed are you, Lord God of our fathers. Holy is your name. These are some, some of the things. But, but it was entirely oriented. The prayer that they would pray was oriented around God. It was about God. It was toward God. They all knew this and other prayers like it. In fact... There's good evidence that they continued in that first generation to pray those prayers. These are the prayers that they were devoted to. Now, Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us to pray. Right, we're, we want to know how to pray. And, and he gave them something which is very similar. It goes through all the same points, as a matter of fact, that those Jewish prayers do, and it starts, where's he start? When he says, when you pray, pray like this, he says, pray our Father. It starts with orienting itself around God, orienting the prayer around the one to be prayed to. And by the way, it also says our. Some of us think it says my Father. It's our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy you, you. Some of us start praying and we say, God, will you please help me with? J Jesus said, no, no, no. When you pray, start there. Orient yourself around the one to be prayed to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
all about you. And then, this is interesting, give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that really a minimizing of our wants and needs? It isn't ad- we're asking God to provide for what, what we need right now. He's say, pray for the interest rates to drop and the economy to turn around. Pray for the election two years from... Pray for your bread today. That's what Jesus said. Minimize the things that you think you need. Think less of yourself. That's what this says. Give us right now, today, what we need. Forgive us our debts. When you think of yourself, what do you think? I'm, I've blown it. <laughs> As we forgive our debtors, that could, by the way, be translated to the extent with which we forgive our debtors. Which is just a reminder that God is far more gracious and forgiving than we are. And thank God for that. Sometimes we think God has a tendency to be just about as, as forgiving as us. <laughs> that's not, believe me, I'm very thankful that's not the case. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. This is an interesting one. Um, Jesus looked at Peter at the Last Supper. And he said, I've prayed for you that you might not enter into temptation. And then they went outside and they went up to this mountain and prayed. Jesus praying in the garden. And, and he says to Peter, by the way, three times, Peter, you need to go pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And Peter falls asleep. <laughs> and the next morning, three times, Peter had been tempted and denied that he knew Jesus. I think there's something to praying, Lord, keep me from temptation. And that bit, by the way, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever that, that some of us pray. Um, it's not in the original text. That's not part of what Jesus said to pray. But it is very biblical. As a matter of fact, it comes from his great-great-great-granddaddy David, who said something very much like that. And a later generation has tacked that on. I think it's good because now the prayer opens and closes with what? God. God. Another way that I've been taught to pray is to use the word acts, like the book in the Bible, acts. Adoration starts with God. Confession, right? It comes here, but it's like, I'm sorry, I blew it. Thanksgiving goes back to God, and then it ends on this big funny word, supplication, which means to ask for stuff, which, by the way, comes at the very end of that. The prayers orient us properly around the God who is the God of the universe, the Creator, the Holy One, the Majestic One. We need help with that, because left to our own devices, what will we do? We will say, God, can I please have? But the prayers help us to focus outward which is what we most need to be focused outward. And we have evidence, by the way, that in, in Pompeii, well, you know, which was covered in ash by Mount Vesuvius in 79 A.D. 79 A.D., so you know, 40-some-odd years after Jesus, uh, they had like little hand tools, kind, not, not like rosaries, but sh- things like that, things that you could hold and touch, that aided them in praying the Lord's Prayer. 
Our Father. Oh, I, I need to pray what that feels like, what that means. Our Father, you are, are my, you're my Father. You're not, you're not just some distant God. You, you come to me. Uh, who art in heaven? Yes, you're up there. Praise your name. You are glorious. You're holy. You're majestic. You're mighty. Your king, not my kingdom, right? You, you move through these, these petitions and you remind yourself and you orient yourself around. We need this. This is what they were devoted to. The, those people in Pompeii were praying this way. They were devoted to the prayers. And it wasn't about them. It was about the God who had made them and saved them and was saving them. The prayers are things that help us to orient our world around God. There are other tools. There's prayer books and things like that that can help us to do that. Let me tell you what's not. Because this is difficult, especially when we start talking, right? And, and, and I, I believe that understanding a proper place, I believe that the prayers and working through the prayers, um, work, just the Lord's Prayer, just acts, will aid us in, in our issues of stress and anxiety and fearfulness because why we're, we're focused less on ourselves we're, we're moving out of ourselves and we're putting our eyes we're fixing our eyes on jesus i think that will help us as we talk about mindfulness as we talk about stress and we talk about anxiety and mindfulness or you know tm some people talk about um these are these are things that help us we we sort of go in you might hear the word centered which is probably a good word, you kind of think through, okay, how am I feeling about this? Um, it, it, you know, this, this emotion, why am I angry? What's this about? And we understand ourselves a little bit better. We know why we feel the way we feel about things. And I'm not, that's a fine thing. I'm not trying to throw rocks at it. I just think it's good to be mindful, okay? But that's not prayer. Going in and becoming centered is not prayer. One of my favorite prayer books was written by Teresa of Avila, a Catholic saint. She died in the 1500s. And in, it's called Interior Castle. And in that book, she goes in to an extent. I mean, she, she imagines herself as a castle. Her inter, you know, and she evaluates. She, she does some of what mindfulness looks at. But then she orients it all around Jesus, she's not centered. <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing called centering prayer. I understand it. I get it. I don't like the word, the word more than anything. It ought to be orbiting to keep us knowing who we're around. We've been talking about the, Bren's been learning about the solar system at school, right? Everything sort of orbits around the sun. Um, if the earth were to be centered, it would be destroyed. It'd burn up. It couldn't handle the weight. It couldn't handle the power. It couldn't handle the glory. It's not made to be the center. We, in the modern Western world, have come to believe that we are the center. And many of our tools for managing stress or anxiety these things, they, they, they go in. We, we want to be more, more centered, right? We want to, and, and, and I think that there can be some help against stress and against anxiety by pursuing those tactics. But don't mistake that for prayer. 
Because who are you really getting to know? You. It's all about you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that in Christ all things hold together. He is the, the gravitational center of the spiritual world. And if we want to be healthy spiritually, we don't need to know ourselves better necessarily. We need to know Him. We need to know who He is, and we need to pl- properly be in orbit around Him and recognize Him and keep our eyes fixed on Him. I mean, here's the reality. We are, without a doubt, the most stressed and the highest anxiety culture ever, except for maybe, you know, Jews during Nazi Germany, right? Like, uh, incredibly traumatizing situations. I'm not trying to compare that. But just living normal lives, we have got to be the most stressed and most anxious culture that ever lived. We, we struggle to be fulfilled, to be satisfied with life, to be happy. And here's the thing. We are also the most self-aware, self-focused civilization that's ever lived. I know that correlation is not automatically causation, but I'm starting to think there's something to this. We're all about us. We're all about knowing ourselves better, and I am certainly an advocate of that, so please don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying it is not all about us. In fact, there is a center, and it's not us. I saw somebody posted on Facebook just the other day. I saw this. It said, it said if you were to meet the true Jesus... Not the one many of us imagine, right? The actual Jesus. You would have two options. You would fall to your knees in worship or you'd walk away offended. That's it. We need to see who he is, the true Jesus. We make him the middle. So if that offends you, I get it. But I I hope it will drive you to your knees. I believe that is the answer to our stress, to our anxiety, is, is to, to follow John the Baptist, who, when his disciples came to him, they were a little frustrated because John's disciples came to Jesus, and they're like, John, this guy, Jesus, he's, he's starting to get followers. People are paying attention to him. They're talking about him in the press. He's kind of making a big deal, and I don't, I, but we follow you, and we want to make sure, you know, that you keep your, your status up, and, and you know what John said? He, said? he said, he must become greater. I must become less. I think that's the attitude that we need to take, that we lift Jesus up, that we make much of Jesus, that we orbit our lives around Jesus, and the prayers are designed to help us do that. They were devoted to the things that helped them to focus their eyes outward. Because it is so easy. We don't need any help focusing them inward. The prayers, devotion to the prayers, will aid us 
in praying and orienting our life around the God of the universe. Let me pray for us. God, Jesus, you are good, you are mighty, you are holy, you are gracious. Many of us struggle with attention spans, many of us struggle uh, with self-love. Um, we, we either make much of ourselves or little of ourselves instead of making much of you. Help us to make much of you and to just not worry about ourselves. Let's leave that to you. You, you are the one who provides. Will you provide for us while we lift up your name? Help us to live that out. Help us to be people with our eyes focused outward. And in that, let us rest and find peace. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, as you taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven. Amen. We're going to turn to this meal uh, that he gives us to remind us. Logistically, let's do this today. I've got three tables. One, two, three. Um, There is gluten-free at that one, if you would like it. Um, In a few minutes, I'm going to invite you up to, to get the elements, to get the bread and the cup, and then to return to your seat as we do that.